Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks! Hi, this is Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living, a weekly show that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week we have Krista Melanson. She's a dating coach helping women find lasting love and navigate the online dating scene. She's a recovering chef who struggled through dating and found her perfect partner. Now she's helping others stay the course without giving up. She's a drill sergeant, a cheerleader, a virtual BFF, supporting women in any way that they need. And uh, I was personally touched because my wife and I met on online dating and I've had so many friends successfully meet on it. So I know that uh, having a dating coach would have helped me save a lot of time. So without further delay, Krista, how's it going? Great, thanks. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. I'm excited to pick your brain about all things dating. Um, Before we get into that, we always ask every guest, um, how old are you, where did you grow up, and what generation, if any, do you consider yourself a member of? Um, Well, thanks for having me on, first of all. This is great. I'm looking forward to this. Cool. I am 56 years old. I was born in Kingston, Ontario, in Canada, and um, I I don't know. (laughs) I don't really consider myself part of a generation because... I'm kind of Peter Pan like I never grew up and I have young kids or have um sort of young kids in their early twenties that keep me young, so I kinda of bounce all over the place. That's a great answer, and that's actually uh, not the most common answer, but it's a pretty common one that I have no idea why bother. Um, I ask it because it seems <laughs> to be a lot of people's fixation, especially now, so I'm always just trying to get a little uh I'm trying to help our audience actually connect with uh that theme, so uh, so did you grow up in Canada or were you just born there? Nope, I grew up in Canada. Cool. And are you still there? I am still here. I mean, I've spent a little time. I went to school. I went to culinary school in Paris. Oh, wow. And I was a ski bum in Colorado for a while. <laughs> so I have I have moved around a bit. Awesome. Let's get into the cooking part before we get into the online dating and all that. Um, what drove you into that and how serious were you? I mean, Paris sounds pretty serious to me. Um, well, I... My mom was an amazing cook. She always, but like dinner parties and things like that, she always cooked amazing food. And she always used to say that I was under her feet constantly. So she thought she may as well put it to good use and teach me to cook. So I cooked with her and I had, you know, from the get go, I had such an interest in food. I'd go on trips with my dad when I was, you know, 10 years old and I'd come back and tell my mother about every single meal I had. So I've always really had this interest in food. And I think she she developed that in me. I had my first dinner party when I was 13. I had a birthday party, a true birthday party for my mom. My stepfather did the shopping, but I did all the cooking, the, the dinner, the dessert, the birthday cake, and everything like that. So it was always something I really liked doing. Cool. And then, actually, my father was an actuary. And he was, you know, big into the business world with the math and stuff. And... I wanted to follow in his footsteps, and then I realized in university, I don't think I'm smart enough to do that, but I still, I really like cooking, and I thought, well, maybe I can do something in cooking, and so I went to Le Cordon Bleu in Paris, and I finished first in my class, and so, yeah, I was pretty serious into it. That's awesome. So did you work in restaurants after that, or did you ever try to open your own restaurant? I did. I I opened my own restaurant, um, woefully unprepared for running a business. <laughs> And that was, um, you know, it didn't, it didn't last that long, but it was kind of fun. I mostly worked for other people. The last food business that I was in was, again, my own restaurant. And it was really unfortunate because 
it was one of these meal preparation services like good good food or chef's plate or whatever. I don't know what they might, what you guys have in the States. But the ones where you order meals and they prepare them and you cook them at home. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was probably about five years ahead of that trend. And it just didn't catch on in our area. Oh. And, I mean, I was doing everything by hand. It was They were great meals. Now I just kind of shake my head and go, oh, really? I was five years too early. It would have been amazing. But... Uh, after that, I just, I sort of, the food business is really difficult, right? Because you've got so many perishables and overhead and that type of thing. So it's really, it's a tough business to be in. Yeah, no, I was uh, in the service industry for about 10 or 11 years. I was mostly a manager of restaurants. And uh, my dream is to someday own my own restaurant that I cook in and do everything in, but not to earn a profit. Like I just want to be happily retired and not losing money, not making money. So <laughs> I don't see any other way. I've thought of doing something like that. I'd like to have sort of like a pub atmosphere with really great, good quality comfort food, but also, you know, some interesting dishes and things like that. And, you know, just a neighborhood place where everybody stops by and wants to spend time. Yeah. And and did you encounter what we encountered, which is it's just like so hard to make a steady profit? Um, or was it something else in the, the first restaurant that you opened? No, that's it. It was just very difficult to make a steady profit. And, you know, you if you want to maintain a certain quality, then, of course, the ingredients are more expensive. And if you're, I always said, if you could have a crystal ball in the food business, you would be a millionaire. <laughs> because, you know, it's it's the unpredictability that causes the problems. You've, you've loaded up for a busy Friday night. Nobody comes in. You've got nothing in on Tuesday, and it's your busiest night of the week. Yeah, it's it's crazy. You summed it up so well. Yeah. And so it's hard. I mean, this is to tie it into kind of the theme of the podcast, Coffin Talk. We talk a lot about how our views on mortality affect the way we live our life. So as someone who is adventurous and bold and has done these other things, and I'm, again, going to get into the online dating and the coaching and all that, what was your upbringing, like, religiously or spiritually, if anything? Um, well, that's kind of a weird thing. Um, I was brought up um, Christian. We went to church a little bit definitely on the special occasions. And then interestingly enough, um, when I was in grade, grade nine, ninth grade, um, I was going to a Catholic school and I converted to Catholicism against the best wishes of my father. So I would call myself Catholic. I don't go to church much anymore. I sort of fell out of it with three kids and it was just a lot of work to get to church. Um, but yeah, so my, you know, my, basis of upbringing is christianity and i've sort of morphed my way through different different philosophies wow that's totally interesting so as of right now as of the time of the recording of this podcast uh what is your philosophy on what happens when you die i would like to think that there's something that happens after you die i definitely would like to think about an afterlife that sort of thing um i'm not sure both my parents passed away a few years back, um, within nine months of each other, but they weren't together, so it was in no way connected. It was just one of those random things. And I very much would like to believe that somewhere up there they can see me and they can see what I'm doing and they'd be proud of what I'm doing. I really don't like to think of death as being final. I like to believe there's more afterwards. And so, I mean, I heard a lot of I'd like to, I really would, a lot of the conditional language, as I would say as an English teacher. <laughs> what do you really think, though? I mean, it sounds like you're you're hoping for that, but it sounds like there's some reticence. Um, I, to be honest, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. I believe there is something, but I also am not, I have not seen tangible proof that would tell me that 
absolutely for certain there is life after death. Something goes on. Yeah. And that's, again, like a pretty common and solid answer. Um, this podcast is just designed to ask questions. We're not like promoting in any way any, you know, <laughs> philosophy. So just to push this question further, um, have you ever had like a deep or like unexplainable spiritual experience? Have you ever had any like eerie or weird moments that have kind of uh, maybe encouraged you to believe in this kind of stuff? I haven't, but um, two things that happened. After my dad passed away, um, I went and saw a psychic because I was looking for answers or connection or, you know, I wanted that to say goodbye type of feeling. And, um, you know, I know that psychics can read cues and pick up things from people and, and in sort of an uncanny way. But she said, she said, I see your father. He's up, you know, he's wherever looking at you. And she said, he's doing this funny dance. Did he have a dance he did? And like, I just got chills right through me. I'm getting them right now because he did. And that was his one funny thing that my brother and I always used to joke about and tease him about. And she nailed it. Wow. And it's like, that would be what my dad would be doing. And I was like, man, that's, that's amazing. Right. If she randomly pulled something, she randomly pulled the exact correct thing out, you know, of her, out of her head. And the other experience that, um, or, or, experience that I know about is a very good friend of mine who is a very scientific, calm, level-headed person says that she absolutely has discussions with dead people. Wow. And she said she has no control and she said just something will pop up and she can have a conversation. And she's not one who's prone to fancy. She doesn't drink. She doesn't smoke dope. None of that stuff. Like she's clear-headed. And she said she does and I completely believe her. And she was at my house one time and my kids wanted her to go down to the basement and she went to the top of the stairs and she looked down and she said, I can't go down there. There's something there and I'm not going down there. Wow. So I believe her. I trust in what she says. So I guess that I guess that is proof, isn't it? So I do believe that there is something. I just would love for something really I'd love to see a ghost. That would be great. It wouldn't scare me. I would think it would be amazing. Yeah, that's cool. I like the way you talk about it all. And I, um, I studied philosophy in college. I wasn't my major, but I loved it. And I still love it to this day. Um, so I am kind of curious if you recall from your studies and stuff, do you have like a favorite philosopher or philosophy movement? I don't really know. I didn't do a lot of philosophy in my studies. Yeah. Okay. And I totally understand that. Um, but I am always curious about like, the people who want to believe but don't believe like you are kind of stay saying, I mean, you know, uh, I think you, we are probably like the prime people for this podcast and for just these kind of discussions, because I think um, like I would love to see a ghost. I would love for extraterrestrials, uh, if they're kind, to come and, and greet me. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to like so many of these experiences and I meditate and I've I've had a very, very weird experience with one psychic. Um, I was researching a novel and I interviewed like 15 or 20 psychics and one of them totally blew my mind. Um, so it is interesting. But what she said was actually, I just read your mind. So I'm just reading what's on it. So I'm not really predicting the future. I'm reading what you think your future is like. So that was her explanation. So let's get into the dating part. Um, so were you online dating and frustrated and then you met your partner and then you started coaching or what's the order of operations and all that? That was the order of operations. I was 50 years old with three kids who were, if not in their teens, moving into their teens, which I'm sure you're aware is the most lovely age to be meeting <laughs> and bringing somebody new into their lives. <laughs> and 
you know, I was, it was funny. I was at a wedding and I was talking to this older lady who's probably about 75. And, you know, at that age, people are prone to say whatever's on their mind. And she said, is your husband here with you? And I said, no, my husband and I split up. And she said, oh, what happened? And, you know, I sort of explained a little bit of what went on. And then at the end of the conversation, she looks at me and she goes, well, what man's going to want you with three young kids? And I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> maybe none. So, you know, I always held that in the back of my mind. And I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have put any credence in what somebody else said. But you can't help it, right? And yeah. so I found it very frustrating. And I would talk to women my age who were going through the same thing. And it was it was the same, you know, soul-crushing, depressing, humiliating experience so often. But then I met somebody who is amazing. And, you know, we travel together. We've got a cottage together. We've got retirement plans to move to France, all of this stuff. And I thought, I don't want other women to give up. I didn't give up. And, you know, I got smart about it and I researched about the way I should present my profile and how to talk to people and the, the, the success factors in finding someone. And I thought, I want to pass this on and I want to support people. And I want to be that person who stands there and says, no, it's absolutely worth it. Don't give up. Because I know that a lot of people have, you know, friends or whatever chatting in their ear saying, don't bother. I'm going to be single for the rest of my life because it's not worth it. And I don't ever want to hear somebody say that because I want everybody to find what I have. I love that answer. That is exactly what my wife and I try to tell everyone. Uh, it's why I didn't give up on online dating, even though I had nothing but terrible experiences with the exception of her. Um, right. I absolutely love what you just said. Um, do you ever work with men or do you only work with women? And I'm curious why. Well, I started off with women um, because when I started off in the business, I had um, I invested in business coaching to help me get the business off the ground. And the business coaching always seemed to be centered on women. But as time went on, um, and I believe this more and more every day, I would love to work with men because I think in some ways men would be a more simple task because you just have to sort of guide them towards etiquette and correct conversation and also reassure them that there are lots of great women out there. And I think that it, it, it sounds funny, but I wish I could speak to lots of men and lots of women at once because if men really are from Mars and women are from Venus, we need a translator. And I would love to be that translator that brings people together and, and helps men understand women and help women understand men. I love that. And I agree completely. And I, I'm curious if you agree with me, and this is not like an original thought I've had, but after getting a divorce myself, I consider myself having like a PhD in marriage because my second marriage is much easier, not just because I'm with a much better partner for me, but also because I just learned like so many of those lessons. So do you like coaching divorcees more or less than first-timers, or does it not matter at all to you? I don't have a preference in terms of marital status or previous marital status, but I find it a little more difficult to work with people who are really jaded, and I hate to be offensive and say this, but bitter, mm -hmm. because they really have the mindset of this is never going to work. I'm never going to find a great person. You know, they're all terrible people. Yeah. So... Um, it's it's much better to work with somebody who at least has a bit of an op has a bit of optimism. They may have hit the catalyst point where they hit rock bottom and they picked themselves up and said, "Okay, 
I can find someone. I really want to find somebody. I would like to have help doing that as opposed to, you know, the people who are like, I don't know why I'm even doing this because I'm never going to find somebody because it's, it's, that's a lot of mindset work. And it's not that I mind doing the work with people, but I just find it's, it's, more enjoyable to work with people who have a bit of an optimistic attitude. Yeah, totally. I can really see that. Um, especially just like when I'm trying to help friends and, um, this is a little bit of a tangent and then I want to get back to a couple other basic questions. I've also noticed that a couple of my friends who also got divorced in their thirties, like I did, we all got remarried like fairly quickly. Like we were somehow able to like see the decision-making process quicker. And so I, you know, now that it's been a couple of years for all of us or more than a couple, but, um, none of us have gotten a second divorce, so to speak, and, and everything seems better. So I'm curious, like, do you think that it's just when people are older, they pull the trigger quicker to get married? Or do you think it also has to do with the psychology of like being better at selecting and knowing what's right for you? Hey everybody, did you know that I write novels? Well, I do, and I have a new one out, and it's called Ardor, and it's about a world-famous psychic traveling around trying to stop other psychics from ruining everything on Earth. It's a fun read, a ton of people have already read it and loved it, so head over to MikeyOp.com, click the big link, and get your copy today. Thanks a lot. I really think it's a little bit of both, right? Because from your first marriage, you find out, and you understand what's important and what's not important. Like, my ex-husband would never hold my hand. And I used to be able to threaten him with kisses. I'd say, you know, you better do this or I'm going to kiss you. And it was a joke, but it wasn't really, right? So I knew that I needed somebody who was affectionate and who wanted to, you know, just be together as a couple romantically or emotionally or whatever. So I knew that was important. And there's other things you figure out after your first divorce. And I think that if if you're looking for something long term and you're not rushing into things, I think you're more mature and able to make a better decision quicker, right? Because you're not 20 years old or whatever. But then I think the other thing is too, though, is that once you get older, there does seem to be a little bit of a sense of, of time is wasting. Like I know with my boyfriend, I hate the thought that he and I will never have 50 years together because we can't, we're too old. So I think that people, that runs through people's minds a little bit too, is that, you know, time is wasting, I best get on. Yeah, totally. And just to compliment you, you're very good at questioning and answering. You don't like go on and you really get to the point, but you're also very articulate. So thank you, because it's wonderful to have a guest like you. Oh, thank you. And so actually that kind of segues into why I'm asking the next question. You seem wise and you seem very personable. So I'm curious, is in the market of dating coach for online dating specifically, do you find that people who are within kind of like our age group, uh, I'm 42, you're 52, uh, migrate towards someone of your age? Or do, do you have like very young clients who are jaded already in like their 20s? No, it tends to be more um, people in our age group because the young people in the 20s, they may be jaded, but they're not ready to ask for help <laughs> yet because they still think they can do it all. <laughs> Right. Totally. And so, and so the uh, the as you get older, I find that a lot of people are ready to skip the difficult part and just ask for help right away. It's like when you're driving and you're lost, right? Mm -hmm. No offense, but men may drive around <laughs> for a little bit longer, whereas women will pull over immediately and say, "Where do I find?" It? Oh, a hundred percent. What about um? Just I'm I had a list of like popular questions I want to ask someone like you. So um. 
What do you think about like age differences? Um, my wife and I are only like two years apart, but I recently had a friend who was dating someone 20 years younger than him and everyone was like disgusted by it. And I was sticking up for him because I was like, hey, you just never know. So I'm curious, do you have like success stories of extreme age differences? My mother and stepfather were married and they were 20 years apart and he passed away when he was 70 and she was 50 and she was heartbroken. He was the love of her life. So um, absolutely, it it can work. My boyfriend is four years younger than me. Um, I think the most important thing is, I don't think the age matters. Age is a number, doesn't matter. They have to be energetically a match. Ah. And you have to be looking for the right thing, right? But but if you meet somebody who's 10 years older than you, whether, you know, male, female, you're looking for someone or I'm looking for someone, we find someone 10 years older. As long as they are sort of emotionally and energetically a match, you know, that they can go out and do the same things and pursue the same interests and, and it's fun for both of them, then I think that's the most important thing. It doesn't matter what, what age you are. I mean, I'll be honest with you, my boyfriend worked outside all of his life in construction. He looks older than I do. <laughs> so most people think he's older than me, but he's not. And it doesn't really matter. It's a number, right? Yeah, that's very cool. And so other kind of like similar questions. Um, as I've gotten older, the stigma of like, I met someone online has gone down a lot, but I still hear it a lot. And especially like I have some single friends and most of them are older who have the stigma and they really don't like it. They're just like, I don't want to do it. They drag their feet. Uh, no matter how much I try to like pressure them, and I am using that word, um, they really are against it. So how do you see that stigma changing? What can I do to help friends not see it as much? Like what what should we all be doing, uh, those of us who have successfully met with online dating? Well, the biggest stigma, or the reason I believe it's a big stigma, is our age group, right? Because we didn't grow up with our phones in our hands 24-7 and doing all these things on a computer. And it was actually my... 17 year old daughter who said mother i'm going to put you on tinder and i'm like you can't do that that's a hookup site she said no mother that's grinder we're talking tinder and i'm like oh okay let's go right so she created my profile and did it all for me that's awesome and i believe i i intercepted some texts where they said maybe mother won't be so depressed anymore <laughs> right so and and so I think the stigma is because of our age, because young people have no problem with this, and they're doing it all the time. So I think the statistics show um, 50% of relationships now start from online dating, wow. which I think is huge, right? That's, yeah. that's a great thing. I know they do change, but it's a significant number of relationships are starting with online dating. And especially since COVID happened, you know, people aren't necessarily going out as much and it's getting better and better every day for sure. Mm -hmm. But people are a little more reticent. And I think that um, it becomes more and more difficult to meet people in person naturally. And, you know, it's funny. I, I look things up for research from time to time. And I read an article that said it was talking about the best places to meet somebody, to meet a man. My favorite one was in the first class lounge at an airport. I'm like, oh, because I'm there every day. <laughs> That's perfect. I don't consider that to be a valid answer. That's ridiculous. So online dating, you know, people worry a lot about that there's scammers and things like that. And there's ways to avoid the scammers and look out for them. And there's ways to make it a little less daunting if you open it up and you're in Philadelphia and you've got, you know, 10,000 matches. There's ways to mitigate this. And I think that um, if you're careful, it's a great way 
to meet different people. And if you think about it as making a connection instead of worrying that every person is your potential love, it's always nice to meet somebody new and take certain precautions to be safe, which is meet in a public place and tell people where you're going. Um, I think people just need to understand that it can be safe and it can be navigated very successfully. Oh, that's great. I love that answer. Yeah, and I agree with all of it. And um, I definitely towards the end when I actually started to get traction on only dating, I was doing exactly what you said is I was just like, you know what, I'll meet anyone for a cup of coffee, I'll meet anyone for a quick drink, like who cares? It's, you know, worst case scenario, it's fodder for a funny story to tell a friend. Exactly. My last specific question for you, what is the biggest common hang up that you have to deal with? And you've mentioned a few on the podcast. So if it's a repeat, that's fine. But like, what's like, okay, here we go again, I got to get this person to see that like, they're not right about what they think is right for them. The most common one I run into with women is that they think that men their age all want a younger woman. Ah. So I address that one all the time, and, and I explain to them that, A, the type of man who's looking for a younger woman specifically is probably not going to be the right guy for you, so don't worry about those guys. And the second thing is, is that, that men, and you would know this for sure too, is not all men want a younger woman. Men enjoy women their age or close to their age because once you get into your 40s or 50s, there's less drama and you know what you want and men like a woman who knows what she wants, right? Yeah. So this is a good thing. This is the prime of our lives. And I work very hard to help women understand that they don't need to worry that they're too old or past the sell-by date, that there's lots of men out there who want somebody their own age. And even somebody older. Oh, I love I love all of your answers. And I love your supporting attitude. And I'm just uh, such a fan of the work you're doing. And I want everyone to be happy. And I think happiness definitely is accentuated with a good partnership with someone. So it's not essential. It's not necessary. You can be single and alone and, and very happy. And some people choose a career over family. And I understand all of the choices. But... When you're with that person who makes you feel special and you make them feel special, it's such such a wonderful feeling. So I'm I'm rooting for you and I'm rooting for everyone that you're working with. Um, before I let you go, we always have our guests um, just kind of give something to the audience that they want to say about like maybe spirituality, the world. You could be more specific about dating, but um, just for the general audience, those people who are already set with a partner, what would you like to tell people? I think. Love makes the world go around. I think that's important. And I think love is worth pursuing. And even if you're already in a relationship, it's worth working towards. Nothing comes easy in life. And I think that if you work towards preserving your relationship with somebody you love or work towards finding a relationship with someone to love, I think either way, companionship and being with somebody is a great thing to put as a priority and not, not put in the back burner of life. Oh, I love it. Thank you again, Krista Melanson. I will definitely have notes for how to find her. And if you're interested in her services, please interrupt and let her know that you heard about her on the Coffee Talk podcast. As for everyone else who's listening at home, thank you again for checking in and listening to another episode. As always, the best way to support the show is to head over to MikeyOp.com. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com and sign up for the weekly letter that comes out. My name is Mike Oppenheim. You have been listening to Coffin Talk and we will see you soon.